Chapter One of A Voyage to the South Sea. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Voyage to the South Sea by William Bly. Chapter One. Plan of the Expedition. Outfit and occurrences to the time of leaving England. Description of the breadfruit. Seventeen eighty-seven. The king, having been graciously pleased to comply with a request from the merchants and planters interested in his majesty's West India possessions, that the breadfruit tree might be introduced into those islands, a vessel proper for the undertaking was bought and taken into dock at Deptford to be provided with the necessary fixtures and preparations for executing the object of the voyage. These were completed according to a plan of my much-honoured friend, Sir Joseph Banks, which in the event proved the most advantageous that could have been adopted for the intended purpose. August 16. The ship was named the Bounty. I was appointed to command her on the 16th of August, 1787. Her burden was nearly 215 tons, her extreme length on deck 90 feet 10 inches, extreme breadth twenty-four feet three inches and height in the hold under the beams at the main hatchway ten feet three inches in the cockpit were the cabins of the surgeon gunner botanist and clerk with the steward room and storerooms the between decks was divided in the following manner the great cabin was appropriated for the preservation of the plants and extended as far forward as the after hatchway it had two large skylights and on each side three scuttles for air and was fitted with a false floor cut full of holes to contain the garden pots in which the plants were to be brought home the deck was covered with lead and at the foremost corners of the cabin were fixed pipes to carry off the water that drained from the plants into tubs placed below to save it for future use I had a small cabin on one side to sleep in, adjoining to the great cabin, and a place near the middle of the ship to eat in. The bulkhead of this apartment was at the after part of the main hatchway, and on each side of it were the berths of the mates and midshipmen. Between these berths the arm chest was placed. The cabin of the master, in which was always kept the key of the arms, was opposite to mine. This particular description of the interior parts of the ship is rendered necessary by the event of the expedition. The ship was masted according to the proportion of the navy, but on my application the masts were shortened, as I thought them too much for her, considering the nature of the voyage. September 3. On the 3rd of September the ship came out of dock, but the carpenters and joiners remained on board much longer, as they had a great deal of work to finish. The next material alteration made in the fitting out was lessening the quantity of iron and other ballast. I gave directions that only nineteen tons of iron should be taken on board instead of the customary proportion which was forty-five tons. The stores and provisions, I judged, would be fully sufficient to answer the purpose of the remainder, for I am of opinion that many of the misfortunes which attend ships in heavy storms of wind are occasioned by too much dead weight in their bottoms. The establishment of men and officers for the ship were as follows. One lieutenant to command. One master. One boatswain. One gunner. One carpenter. 
one surgeon, two master's mates, two midshipmen, two quartermasters, one quartermaster's mate, one boatswain's mate, one gunner's mate, one carpenter's mate, one carpenter's crew, one sailmaker, one armorer, one corporal, one clerk and steward, twenty-three able seamen, forty-four total. Two skillful and careful men were appointed, at Sir Joseph Banks' recommendation, to have the management of the plants intended to be brought home. The one, David Nelson, who had been on similar employment in Captain Cook's last voyage, the other, William Brown, as an assistant to him. With these two, our whole number amounted to forty-six. It was proposed that our route to the Society Islands should be round Cape Horn, and the greatest dispatch became necessary as the season was already far advanced. But the shipwrights, not being able to complete their work by the time the ship was ready in other respects, our sailing was unavoidably retarded. October, Thursday 4. However, by the 4th of October, the pilot came on board to take us down the river. Tuesday, 9. On the ninth, we fell down to Long Reach, where we received our gunners' stores and guns, four four-pounders, and ten swivels. The ship was stored and victualled for eighteen months. In addition to the customary allowance of provisions, we were supplied with sauerkraut, portable soup, essence of malt, dried malt, and a proportion of barley and wheat in lieu of oatmeal. I was likewise furnished with a quantity of ironwork and trinkets to serve in our intercourse with the natives in the South Seas, and from the Board of Longitude I received a timekeeper made by Mr. Kendall. Monday, 15. On the 15th I received orders to proceed to Spithead. November. Sunday, 4. But the winds and weather were so unfavorable that we did not arrive there till the 4th of November. On the 24th I received from Lord Hood, who commanded at Spithead, my final orders. The wind, which for several days before had been favorable, was now turned directly against us. Wednesday, 28. On the 28th the ship's company received two months' pay in advance, and on the following morning we worked out to St. Helens, where we were obliged to anchor. 1787, December, Sunday 23. We made different unsuccessful attempts to get down channel, but contrary winds and bad weather constantly forced us back to St. Helens, or Spithead, until Sunday the 23rd of December when we sailed with a fair wind. During our stay at Spithead, the rate of the timepiece was several times examined by Mr. Bailey's observations at the Portsmouth Observatory. On the 19th of December, the last time of its being examined on shore, it was 1 minute 52 seconds, 5 too fast for mean time, and then losing at the rate of 1 second, 1 per day, and at this rate I estimated its going when we sailed. The object of all the former voyages to the South Seas undertaken by the command of His Present Majesty has been the advancement of science and the increase of knowledge. This voyage may be reckoned the first, the intention of which has been to derive benefit from those distant discoveries. 
for the more fully comprehending the nature and plan of the expedition, and that the reader may be possessed of every information necessary for entering on the following sheets, I shall here lay before him a copy of the instructions I received from the Admiralty, and likewise a short description of the breadfruit. By the Commissioners for Executing the Office of Lord High Admiral of Great Britain and Ireland, etc. Whereas the King, upon a representation from the merchants and planters interested in His Majesty's West India possessions, that the introduction of the breadfruit tree into the islands of those seas, to constitute an article of food, would be a very essential benefit to the inhabitants, hath, in order to promote the interest of so respectable a body of his subjects, especially in an instance which promises general advantage, thought fit that measures should be taken for the procuring some of these trees, and conveying them to the said West India Islands, and whereas the vessel under your command hath, in consequence thereof, been stored and victualled for that service, and fitted with the proper conveniences and necessaries for the preservation of as many of the said trees as, from her size, can be taken on board her, and you have been directed to receive on board her the two gardeners named in the margin, David Nelson and William Brown, who, from their knowledge of trees and plants, have been hired for the purpose of selecting such as shall appear to be of a proper species and size, you are, therefore, in pursuance of His Majesty's pleasure, signified to us by Lord Signey, one of his principal secretaries of state, hereby required and directed to put to sea in the vessel you command, the first favorable opportunity of wind and weather, and proceed with her, as expeditiously as possible, round Cape Horn to the Society Islands, situate in the Southern Ocean, in the latitude of about eighteen degrees south and longitude of about two hundred and ten degrees east from greenwich where according to the accounts given by the late captain cook and persons who accompanied him during his voyage the breadfruit tree is to be found in the most luxurious state having arrived at the above-mentioned islands and taken on board as many trees and plants as may be thought necessary the better to enable you to do which you have already been furnished with such articles of merchandise and trinkets as it is supposed will be wanted to satisfy the natives you are to proceed from thence through endeavour straits which separate new holland from new guinea to prince's island in the straits of sunda or if it should happen to be more convenient to pass on the eastern side of java to some port on the north side of that island where any breadfruit trees which have been injured or have died may be replaced by mangosteens, durians, jacks, nancas, lanfas, and other fine fruit trees of that quarter, as well as the rice plant which grows upon dry land, all of which species, or such of them as shall be judged most eligible, you are to purchase on the best terms you can from the inhabitants of that island with the ducats with which you have also been furnished for that purpose taking care however if the rice plants above mentioned cannot be procured at java to touch at prince's island for them 
where they are regularly cultivated. From Prince's Island, or the island of Java, you are to proceed round the Cape of Good Hope to the West Indies, calling on your way thither at any places which may be thought necessary, and deposit one half of such of the above-mentioned trees and plants as may be then alive at His Majesty's Botanical Gardens at St. Vincent, for the benefit of the Windward Islands, and then go on to Jamaica, and, having delivered the remainder to Mr. East, or such person or persons as may be authorized by the governor and council of that island to receive them, refreshed your people, and received on board such provisions and stores as may be necessary for the voyage, make the best of your way back to England, repairing to Spithead, and sending to our secretary an account of your arrival and proceedings. And whereas you will receive herewith a copy of the instructions which have been given to the above-mentioned gardeners for their guidance, as well as in procuring the said trees and plants, and the management of them after they shall be put on board, as for bringing to England a small sample of each species, and such others as may be prepared by the superintendent of the botanical garden at St. Vincent's, and by the said Mr. East, or others, for his majesty's garden at Kew, you are hereby required and directed to afford, and to give directions to your officers and company to afford, the said gardener's every possible aid and assistance, not only in the collecting of the said trees and plants at the places before mentioned, but for their preservation during their conveyance to the places of their destination. Given under our hands, the 20th November, 1787. How, Charles Brett, R. D. Hopkins, J. Levinson Gower, to Lieutenant William Bly, commanding His Majesty's armed vessel, the Bounty, at Spithead, by command of their lordships, P. Stevens. In the foregoing orders, it is to be observed that I was particularly directed to proceed round Cape Horn but as the season was so far advanced and we were so long detained by contrary winds i made application to the admiralty for discretional orders on that point to which i received the following answer by the commissioners for executing the office of lord high admiral of great britain and ireland etc etc the season of the year being now so far advanced as to render it probable that your arrival with the vessel you command on the southern coast of america will be too late for your passing round cape horn without much difficulty and hazard you are in that case at liberty notwithstanding former orders to proceed in her to otaheite round the cape of good hope given under our hands the eighteenth december seventeen eighty seven how charles brett bayham to lieutenant william bligh commanding his majesty's armed vessel bounty spithead by command of their lordships p stevens the breadfruit is so well known and described that to attempt a new account of it would be unnecessary and useless however as it may contribute to the convenience of the reader i have given the following extracts respecting it with the plate annexed extract from the account of dampier's voyage round the world performed in sixteen eighty eight the breadfruit as we call it grows on a large tree 
as big and high as our largest apple trees. It hath a spreading head, full of branches and dark leaves. The fruit grows on the boughs like apples. It is as big as a penny loaf, when wheat is at five shillings the bushel. It is of a round shape, and hath its thick, tough rind. When the fruit is ripe, it is yellow and soft, and the taste is sweet and pleasant. The natives of Guam use it for bread. They gather it, when full-grown, while it is green and hard. Then they bake it in an oven, which scorches the rind and makes it black. But they scrape off the outside black crust, and there remains a tender thin crust, and the inside is soft, tender, and white like the crumb of a penny loaf. There is neither seed nor stone in the inside, but all is of a pure substance like bread. It must be eaten new, for, if it is kept above twenty-four hours, it grows harsh and chalky, but it is very pleasant before it is too stale. This fruit lasts in season eight months in the year, during which the natives eat no other sort of food of bread kind. I did never see of this fruit anywhere but here. The natives told us that there is plenty of this fruit growing on the rest of the Ladrone Islands, and I did never hear of it anywhere else. Volume 1, page 296. Extract from the account of Lord Anson's voyage, published by Mr. Walter. There was at Tinian a kind of fruit, peculiar to these Ladrone Islands, called by the Indians Rime, but by us the breadfruit for it was constantly eaten by us during our stay upon the island, instead of bread, and so universally preferred that no ship's bread was expended in that whole interval. Footnote. About two months, namely from the latter end of August to the latter end of October, 1742. It grew upon a tree which is somewhat lofty, and which towards the top divides into large and spreading branches. The leaves of this tree are of a remarkable deep green, are notched about the edges, and are generally from a foot to eighteen inches in length. The fruit itself is found indifferently on all parts of the branches. It is in shape rather elliptical than round. It is covered with a tough rind and is usually seven or eight inches long. Each of them grows singly and not in clusters. This fruit is fittest to be used when it is full-grown but still green, in which state, after it is properly prepared by being roasted in the embers, its taste has some distant resemblance to that of an artichoke's bottom, and its texture is not very different, for it is soft and spongy. Extracts from the account of the first voyage of Captain Cook, Hawksworth, Volume 2. In the Society Islands the breadfruit grows on a tree that is about the size of a middling oak. Its leaves are frequently a foot and a half long, of an oblong shape, deeply sinuated like those of the fig tree, which they resemble in consistence and color, and in the exuding of a white milky juice upon being broken. The fruit is about the size and shape of a child's head, and the surface is reticulated not much unlike a truffle. It is covered with a thin skin, and has a core about as big as the handle of a small knife. The edible part lies between the skin and the core. It is as white as snow, and somewhat of the consistence of new bread. 
It must be roasted before it is eaten, being first divided into three or four parts. Its taste is insipid, with a slight sweetness somewhat resembling that of the crumb of wheaten bread mixed with a Jerusalem artichoke. Pages 80, 81. See also the plate there, and at page 232. Of the many vegetables that have been mentioned already as serving them for food, the principal is the breadfruit, to procure which costs them no more trouble or labor but climbing a tree. The tree which produces it does not indeed shoot up spontaneously, but if a man plants ten of them in his lifetime, which he may do in about an hour, he will as completely fulfill his duty to his own and future generations as the native of our less temperate climate can do by ploughing in the cold season and reaping in the summer's heat, as often as these seasons return, even if, after he has procured bread for his present household, he should convert a surplus into money and lay it up for his children. It is true indeed that the breadfruit is not always in season, but coconuts, bananas, plantains, and a great variety of other fruits supply the deficiency. Page 197. Extract from the account of Captain Cook's last voyage in the Society Islands. I, Captain Cook, have inquired very carefully into their manner of cultivating the breadfruit tree at Otaheite, but was always answered that they never planted it. This indeed must be evident to every one who will examine the places where the young trees come up. It will be always observed that they spring from the roots of the old ones which run along near the surface of the ground, so that the breadfruit trees may be reckoned those that would naturally cover the plains, even supposing that the island was not inhabited, in the same manner that the white bark trees found at Van Diemen's land constitute the forests there. And from this we may observe that the inhabitants of Otaheite, instead of being obliged to plant his bread, will rather be under the necessity of preventing its progress, which I suppose is sometimes done to give room for trees of another sort, to afford him some variety in his food. Volume 2, page 145. In the Sandwich Islands. The breadfruit trees are planted and flourish with great luxuriance on rising grounds, where the hills rise up almost perpendicularly in a great variety of peaked forms. Their steep sides and the deep chasms between them are covered with trees, amongst which those of the breadfruit were observed particularly to abound. Volume 3, pages 105 and 114, containing Captain King's narrative. The climate of the Sandwich Islands differs very little from that of the West India Islands, which lie in the same latitude. Upon the whole, perhaps, it might be rather more temperate. Captain King, I.B., page 116. The breadfruit trees thrive in these islands, not in such abundance, but produce double the quantity of fruit they do on the rich plains of Otaheite. The trees are nearly of the same height, but the branches begin to strike out from the trunk much lower and with greater luxuriance. Captain King, I.B., page 120. End of chapter 1